This is RJ Bell with the Sports Betting Headlines for Wednesday. We got a ton of NBA action, and you know we had a few technical problems before the show. So what I'm going to do is go right into the theme, take a breath, and we'll be right into this special show. Why is it special? Well, it's the best show we're going to have today. Here it comes. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas. I'm with you, baby. Live on a Wednesday. Live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. What are the headlines today? Well, no doubt about it, we got three big games in the NBA. Sixers, Wizards. We got the Knicks and the Hawks. Ooh, that's that tight one. Tight one this weekend. Knicks are favored by two, two and a half in some spots. And then the Jazz down 0-1 are a double-digit favorite against the Grizzlies. And obviously yesterday the Lakers win, the Clippers lose. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. I'm the pro. He's the Joe in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we have got full NBA action coming up later on tonight, a big deep dive as to what happened last night in the National Basketball Association. Plus, Aaron Rodgers partying in Hawaii. What is the Vegas lead here on this Wednesday? I tell you this, I would never have Aaron Rodgers in Hawaii as the lead. I don't care if there was nothing else. I would look at what was on classic sports and lead with that. But all that said, I think it's the tale of L.A., the Lakers down 0-1. They win. Obviously, the Clippers down 0-1 lose. I think it's a big, big difference, obviously, mathematically. So let's start with the Lakers, and then we're going to go to the Clippers. Yeah, it's a different mood in L.A. between Laker fans and Clipper fans right now because the Lakers tie their series up with the Phoenix Suns. 109-102 was the final last night in Phoenix, while the Clippers at home drop a second straight game to the Dallas Mavericks. 127-121, the final there. Dallas leading that series two games to zip. You are on the ground in L.A. You live there, have for a long time. I know this is going to be, you're going to go, oh, uh, it's a big number. I got it. But what is the ratio of Laker fans to Clipper fans that you encounter? So is it five times as many, ten times as many? For every Clippers fan, how many Lakers fans are there? Out of 100%, 95 or 96%. So it's like a 20 to 1 ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So LA's happy, not net. <laughs> now, yes. here, here's the thing. Back in the day, there was the newspaper, right? The, the guy that glanced at the newspaper had a certain level of knowledge, right? And that would be what the score was, maybe who the leading scorer was. Okay. Then there is now today the talk show surface level knowledge, which is you flip on a random talk show, random TV show, what is being discussed. So 
let's start there because we want to get through that. That's the easy stuff. And then is there anything that's being missed? Is there anything that's maybe gotten wrong by the typical talk show? So I'll, I'm going to pose what I see as the talk show narrative, and you can tell me if there's more to or what you see beyond it, what you see maybe different. Uh, one is, hey, Chris Paul, he gutted it out, but he wasn't near 100%, had a big effect on the game. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And as you look at, you know, the eye test on the game, I mean, if we just look at the stat line, right, Chris Paul played 23 minutes. He had six points. All right, so keeping it real simple there. Now, he didn't throw up the other stats, three rebounds, five assists, not bad, but not uh, a super strong performance. Did the eye test tell you that, that it was the injury? Yeah, and, and it was the injury. and Because I, I think especially there was a point in the game where with about four minutes left, the Lakers got called for just a, a really, really bad shot clock violation in which they just seemed unaware of the shot clock. And so Phoenix got the ball back. I think they were down one, and they never scored after that. There was just the Lakers closed them out. They, they just are outside of, you know, hitting free throws, but they never hit another field goal after that. And the Lakers just iced the game from there. And it just felt like in those moments, that's where, you know, the veteran presence and his playmaking ability would have really, really benefited the team. And unfortunately, he just wasn't there for it. Now, do we have any sense from any of the reporting on is this the kind of injury that it needs at third or fourth day and he might be back to 100%? Is this a longer-term lingering limitation? Uh, obviously, we're not doctors. We're going by what the experts are saying. What's your sense on that? Uh, I don't. I, I haven't seen anything that has said that it's going to be a, a long, long time. They've been kind of vague about it. I mean, they've they've said, you know, yeah, he's got a shoulder issue, but you know, when asked about it, you know, going into the fourth quarter, Monty Williams, the head coach, uh, they said, well, we see him because he wasn't playing hardly at all in the second half, and he said, yeah, yeah, you're going to see him. So they're very adamant about he's going to be there, but I just, it's clear to what capacity. It's it's just nowhere close to what he's been during the regular season. Yeah, and you know, let's be honest. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. Is Mackenzie Rivers, who's a conspiracy th- guy, um, he's of that generation. <laughs> he said, "Hey, listen, I think that uh, Chris Paul is is really hurt, hurt much more than we might think." And my response was, "Well, did a doctor say something? Do you know a doctor?" Pre-? No, it was because the Clippers took him, Chris Paul, off the injury list before the game. Now, in a weird way, if you really think about the skepticism, this new generation, uh, McKenzie's 31, so he's youngish, but the millennials they have is that if the, the, the man, if the authority says one thing, you got to figure the opposite is true. Now, the fact that it has kind of turned out to be correct in this case troubles me at multiple levels, but, but it is interesting to whatever degree we think the injury report means anything when it comes to actually honestly um, – transparently providing the truth of an injury situation, the fact that he looked obviously injured. Uh, the eye test could not say he was 100%. I don't think anyone could. But if you look at the authority, look at the, you know, uh, the man in this case, his response was, or his truth was, oh, no, he has no injury right now. So that is noteworthy, though not in a good way. I think that until we see him get better, I don't see any reason to think he's going to get better. Uh, obviously, after the series, if 
the Clippers are eliminated, yeah, he's going to hopefully get better at some point. But I'm talking about for this series, it, would it shock you if he some Chris Paul was somewhat hobbled, similar to how he was in Game Two for the rest of the series? We don't know if it's an injury that's going to get better in six weeks. Uh, the fact they're not telling us more details, and this will be my last thought on it. But I don't know how you even handicap and predict these games. Chris Paul, by McKenzie's assessment, is worth four points per game. I think that might be a little high, but let's say it's three. That's as low as I think you could go. He's worth between three and four points in a game if he plays healthy versus doesn't play at all. The Chris Paul last night, I'm not sure he's better than the next player on their bench. You know, So maybe that's an interesting question. We'll start with you, Jonas, and get McKenzie's quick thought right after. Is the way Chris Paul played last night... Would the Clippers have been better off if he didn't play at all? Um, I don't – I'm not going to go that far. Uh, it did seem like Cameron Payne, uh, who got a lot more playing time, played really well for Phoenix. He, he was an energy guy, hit some shots. 33, um, 33 minutes, yeah. had 19 points. Uh, I mean, and if you look at his, uh, I mean, really across the board, he doesn't have one below average stat. If you look at his accuracy of shooting, uh, yeah, so Payne played quite well. Yeah, I, I look at it almost similar to Peyton Manning, his final year with Denver. When they went back to Peyton Manning, there was at least that threat that, you know, eh, maybe, he can, maybe you know, out, out you know, he can But the ostrich was the other one. Yeah, though. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a real different situation. <laughs> yeah, so, so his replacement, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think it was up to snuff there. But I, I just, when Paul's out there, you could tell, and Monty Williams said, look, it was my decision to take him out of the game. He couldn't make the passes uh, he wanted to make. He couldn't do he a lot of injured, what he. He wasn't injured, though. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. So it's hard to guess what really to what capacity he's at or what percentage healthy he's at because for him to miss that much of a playoff game, to only be in for I think he played maybe four minutes of the final quarter in a game that was completely up for grabs, that they were in and, and with an opportunity to win, I think that's pretty telling. I just don't know what it means moving forward. Mackenzie, from what you saw yesterday, do you think the Clippers would have been better off if Chris Paul had not played? I do. I think Chris Payne was the better player last night. Just reading what Monty Williams said after the game, this is what he said, Monty Williams. Just looking at Paul holding his arm, the way he was holding it, I just couldn't watch him run like that, trying to make plays. He battled. He's a warrior. Don't you think it had to be disheartening for the team to see their leader struggle like that and then have to be benched? Well, I mean, I guess if we're trying to guess what the psychology of the other players were, you could say it's disheartening or you could say they looked at him uh, remember, I don't know if you guys saw the movie The Castle. It was uh, James Gandolfini was playing the guy that ran a prison that was for military people. And Robert Redford was an old general that got put in there. And there's a scene in which they try to beat Redford down by making him carry these rocks for like an extended period of time. But he carries them for like 14 hours. And it makes the entire rest of the you know prisoners all kind of rise up and say, yeah, he can do it. We can do it. I think you could see that other scenario is, you know, uh, them looking at how hard Chris Paul played, though hurt, and say, be inspired by that. So I don't win one for the Gipper type scenario. Well, no, see, the Gipper was dying. So (laughs) not quite that. But um, (laughs) thanks, McKenzie. Is um, as we turn in another direction fully, I do think, (laughs) I I do think, that's when you're supposed to turn the mic off now. 
Yeah, there it is. Okay. He's like, I'm on here. I'm staying on here. I don't care. If I have to make a Gifford comment, it's way off. It doesn't matter. All right. So what I will say is this. There's real questions with Chris Paul, obviously. And I'm not sure how we could possibly think. I don't know how you have a super strong opinion on game three until you know how Chris Paul is. And what we know is, is that the reporting on it, the information that comes from the Clippers is going to be suspect. No doubt about it. We're straight out of Vegas. Now, if we look at the Lakers, could we spin this as, yep, here they are. They're back. If you look how good Anthony Davis played, it was exceptional. 40 minutes, 34 points, 10 rebounds. Seven assists. I mean, it's a great, it's a, I mean, for a big man, it's a classic stat line. Over 30 points, double-digit rebounds, almost double-digit assists, so he's passing. Field goal attempts versus made. Uh, good. I mean, everything. And a lot of the X's and O's guys are saying the real key here is that Anthony Davis was playing the five, so the center position. He was the biggest player on the floor he doesn't like to play the five for extended periods. The guys who are close to be the size of a center, but they have the ability not to play center, typically don't want to play center because it's a much more grueling, physically taxing, especially if you're undersized a little bit. So let's go back to the Golden State Warriors in their heyday. They had the lineup of death, it was called. And what was the key to that? It was they didn't play with the center, and they had a situation where they could guard a big man, but it was, uh, if necessary, but they would be hurting them more, the Warriors were, on offense than they'd be hurt on defense. Oftentimes when one team goes big or one team goes small and the other team stays big, there tends to be scoring big on both ends or significant scoring on both ends because the small players do better, and in this case with the Warriors, Draymond Green would be better suited to stop the big man than they would be to stop him. Okay, the Lakers have that ability with Anthony Davis. And then you think about LeBron and LeBron's ability to play big, even though he can play point guard. I mean, he could be a big point guard if you think about it. And at various times he has been lately. That team is tough to beat. The question is, is this a trick that doesn't have a shelf life of four series that if Anthony Davis has to play the five spot for big minutes in this series, the next series, the next series and the next series to win a title. If history tells us anything, it's he doesn't have that longevity physically. He, he's not going to avoid injuries to such a degree. So Jonas, is it reasonable to say, and do you agree that the Lakers playing with AD at the five as the big man, played exceptionally well yesterday and probably will play very well net-net for the rest of these playoffs. But if the Lakers can't do well in other lineups, then this probably doesn't have the ability, him playing the five, to go for four series. Because I would make the following case, that maybe this Suns team is better than any team the Lakers had to play of the four to win the title last year. Who was the best team they played last year? And couldn't the case be made that Phoenix is better than them? 
Yeah, no, I, I would I would probably make that case. Um, you know, the the Chris Paul injury, I think, changes things a little bit. I, I also think when it comes to the Anthony Davis situation, Andre Drummond played really, really well last night. Mm-hmm. And I think that gave them the ability to, to not park Anthony Davis down at the five for the entire game to where he could pick his spots. And it was late in the game where you could tell he really started to take over at that point. I, I don't think that he's a guy who can or wants wants to just play the five the entire game. I think he's a former point guard. He likes, you know, being able to be outside. He wants to be able to still, you know, use his outside perimeter game. And if they can get that kind of production from Drummond, which is why they acquired him and why they made the move to grab him uh, during the season, I I think this is something that could work long term. Yeah, but see, that's the question is you're right. If you look at Drummond's stat line, it's pretty good, right? 15 points, 24 minutes, had 12 rebounds. I mean, a rebound every other minute. That's a monstrous amount of rebounds. Zero assists. I mean, he's a very limited beyond that. But if you look at the minutes that in McKenzie, pull up Andre Drummond's plus minus, just regular plus minus in the game. Because the point I'm going to make is his stat line was fine. But, and as we get that number, it's going to help me really refine the point. But my guess is the plus minus isn't all that impressive. Because by definition, when Drummond's in there, AD's not going to be at the five, right? I mean, Drummond is the five. Do you have that, McKenzie? Yeah, the Lakers were plus five with Drummond on the court. Okay, so, you know, Jonas, you make an interesting point. So, so when he's off the court, it, it, the Lakers were actually, they won by what, nine in the game? So that means plus Seven four. points. By seven. So plus two then. So that's saying AD at the five was plus. Okay, see, that's interesting. I'm going to have to dig into that. My sense was, and the narrative I heard from others, was that when he was at the five, it's what drove the Lakers' success. Maybe it drove his points, and that's great for the stat line, but the performance was you know, better in theory when Drummond was in. So that is fascinating. Okay, uh, what's our game three? No, so game three is going to L.A. I think when we transition – to the Clippers here in a couple minutes, it's going to be, I think, an indictment in a way of the L.A. crowd, and we'll say the L.A. Clippers crowd, where it felt like the fan edge that a lot of these home teams have had, the Clippers didn't have. Now, is that the laws in L.A.? Is that the general ethos of L.A.? I don't know. But boy, oh boy, I don't. It doesn't feel like that Clippers crowd was anywhere near the crowd that, that some other venues have had. Does that hurt the Lakers the same kind of way? Though obviously, there's more love for the Lakers. What do we see as the current game three line? The Lakers are six and a half point favorites hosting the Suns. Okay, so six and a half point favorites. So they were one and a half in Phoenix. So now they're they're swinging that thing. Wow, that's a monster swing. Hmm. I got to be honest with you. That shows me a real pessimism about Chris Paul. Yeah. If there was any, because remember the lines one and a half, not knowing how bad he was, you could make the point that he was worse than we thought. I think Chris Paul was more hobbled than we expected. So let's say that line goes to three. If we knew how bad Chris Paul was, now you switch venues. Ah. I got to tell you, I'm leaning Suns right there. But, boy, with the uncertainty around Paul, it's tough. 
It's tough. What, what do you think? Did you notice that with the Clippers, Jonas, the uh, home crowd not being just as, you know, uh, just the numbers weren't there. I'm not even yeah. saying the fans weren't screaming enough, but, boy, it didn't seem like it affected the game very much. Yeah, I just saw, you know, some cardboard cutouts and, and not re- like no real energy. Yeah, those um, cardboard, they don't make much noise. I just <laughs> – and, and if you think about it, I mean, they've now lost five straight playoff games going back to the bubble. So this is, this is something that's gone on on for a while and look Kawhi Leonard played well but Dallas has the best player in the series and 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 he's he's hitting shots and making plays that you know that that the Clippers don't have any answer for and then he's you know they're they're full of confidence he's talking trash to Pat Beverly after baskets and and running his mouth I just it's as bad as it could possibly be for the Clippers at this point no I agree so let's do this let's take our first break when we come back I think Jonas's point is almost certainly correct, which is part of this with the Mavs is Luka stepping up. I think there's another part of this, the negative with the Clippers, that the mainstream media is not really attacking with the ferocity we should. I think what we're seeing from the Clippers is the result of mistakes they've been making for two years. And I think as a society, we should be attacking it because it's a bad thing for the country yeah, we're going to connect it, the country's welfare, to the Clippers when we come back. He's R.J. Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at the situation between the Clippers and the Mavericks with L.A. down two games to none. Or said another way, we're going to crush the Clippers. <laughs> it's a great day to join us. This is the Fastest Growing Show on Fox Sports Radio. The audience has doubled in the last year plus. That's because of you, your support, spreading the word. Keep it up because we're going to keep working extra hard to make this show the best it can be, you can listen to us on the iHeartRadio app. Just search Straight Out of Vegas. Or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can get it too. The iHeart app streams the whole thing from Fox Sports Radio here in Vegas on the Strip. 83 degrees, the neon is flowing. And so, RJ, we are going to get into that Clippers-Mavs series. But first, I want to let you know, Straight Out of Vegas is brought to you by AutoZone. AutoZone has more ways for you to start your job your way. That means getting what you need fast. Some jobs can't wait. That's why AutoZone offers free same-day store pickup. Free next-day delivery is available on over 100,000 parts. Visit AutoZone.com today to start your job fast. Get in the zone. AutoZone, Luca and company were in the zone, and they've been in the zone for two games straight against the L.A. Clippers. Last night, a 127-1. 21 win for Dallas. They take a 2-0 series lead back home. Okay, so Luca's the story, but I don't think people have quantified in a uh, appropriate way how important Luca is to the Mavs. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell McKenzie in about 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to explain the analytical term usage. So if you need a second to get the definition, please do. So usage in layman's terms simple terms is for every minute you're on the floor how much are you doing so the old steve kerr sitting in the corner kind of thing his usage would be low and michael jordan handling the ball 
you know, involved in many elements of the game, his usage would be high. So I'll give you an example. Kawhi had the highest usage of any one on the Clippers yesterday. And the usage percentage was about 30%. So 30% was the best for the Clippers, the highest. And the percentile across the league was 92%. So you're at the 92nd percentile, not 100, but 92nd, above 90, if you have a usage of about 30%. Luka had a usage of over 50%. So literally, it's like almost double and the half as much as him was at 92%. And his usage was in the percentage at 100, which I'm not sure how you can be that, but it's saying it's as high as it can get. Mackenzie, how would you explain uh, a more technical usage, uh, that, that term? The percentage of plays that end with a certain player. So that can be they score, they get to the free throw line, or they turn the ball over. Okay, so you, if you have an assist, you're used to, you don't have anything on the usage? It does not include assists in the usage mm, percentage. I'm skeptical of that. Let, let's call. It, we'll put that one up in a big question mark. Um, regardless of the actual technical, you know, definition. And again, I've just started Jonas in the last month to dive headfirst into some of the more advanced analytics in the NBA because the reality is it's almost hard to talk about the game at this point without at least a good understanding of those. And I think NBA.com, for example has done such a good job where if you go there, it's like when I was a kid, when I was even in college, I would always dream, like, wouldn't it be great if the USA Today did this or if ESPN eventually did that? But they never did what, like, the hardcore fan would have wanted, right? Now, because you can have one page for the casual fan and another page for the analytics people, the NBA has done such a great job of giving the raw data to the analytics community and they're all producing, you know, some interesting content, but you can go to NBA.com and see all of these advanced metrics with a click, a click shot charts and everything. And uh, to me, when it's that mainstream, you, you, you best embrace it. And what we know as a takeaway here is Luke is having a historic amount of effect on these playoffs, even though he only only played 38 minutes. Uh, I mean, that's a, you know, it's 10 minutes off. I mean, the simple math there, um, 39 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. But to me, and, and that's my first question to you, it strikes me that he's created a game that, and with a limited team around him. I mean, I was talking about the Nets. And I said, if you take away their best player, they still are what in the league? You could make the case they still might be the best team. That if you took away, yeah. you know, or let's say if you took away their, uh, yeah, let's say they took away their best player. Now, if you took away their best player and took the best player of every team away, the Nets would be so far and away the best team, I think. So, But let's flip this and say, how bad could a team be if you take away the best player. If yeah. the Mavs take away, or if we took Luca away, you'd have Tim Hardaway Jr., you'd have Porzingis, you'd have, what, Finney Smith. 
I mean, I mean, might yeah. it be that this would be the worst team in the league without Luca? I mean, you'd have the Knicks from like five, six years ago almost. Is basically, <laughs> is basically what you'd end up having. Uh, um, but I'm saying, even if you took away the best player from every other team, yeah, it's and that's and it's interesting you pose the question that way because like even if you took away, if we think LeBron James is the best player on the Lakers, even if you took him away, Anthony Davis is still really good, and and Porzingis is nowhere close to Anthony Davis as a no. player. And so Luca's impact on his team, I would think if it's not the greatest in the NBA, he's got to be top two or three. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But who would be else. in the conversation? I, maybe this year, Steph Curry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. But I mean, but, you, you just think of Draymond right there. I, I mean, he's so much better than anyone else. Uh, and again, Porzingis, if you think back to his best days, you could say almost a second superstar. That's not what we've seen for quite a while now. Yeah, uh, and, and also just as a team, and, and I don't know if this is what the difference is, and this is what I've been wondering watching the first couple of games. So if the three-point shot is in, as important as it is, and during the course of the regular season they were 36% behind the arc, in game one they shot 47%. In game two they shot 53%. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know why all of a sudden they've had such a drastic change and improved so much behind the arc because that's really been a big factor in this series that they're hitting shots that they weren't normally hitting during the course of the regular season. I agree with that, but but couldn't you make the case the Clippers have been offensively quite efficient also? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you just look at the threes, I don't know if you have that right in front of you. I'm looking – at some of the advanced analytics here, but if you look at the accuracy, uh, the, the general accuracy numbers, and what NBA.com does is they put them in orange if they're good, or, or actually there's another site puts them in orange if they're good, uh, blue if they're bad, so there's a spectrum. I'm looking at Dallas and the Clippers yesterday, and there's not a single stat, rim, short, long, or three, in which the any of the teams are in blue. So they didn't shoot poorly from anywhere. And they pretty much now from threes, the Mavs were in the 99th percentile. They made 58%. And it looks like the Clippers made uh, 39.4. So, I mean, yeah, that's the difference in the game. No doubt about it. But that implies the rest of the play, except for those threes are even. And if the Clippers are down 0-1 and they're at home, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be you're able to – I mean, remember, Milwaukee beat Miami even though uh, in game one yeah. when they were – Miami shot – made 23s and Milwaukee still won the game. That's yeah. the kind of game the Clippers need to have when you're down 0-1. Yeah, and the Clippers were the best three-point shooting team during the course of the regular season. So in game two, I, I think they were a 41% three-point shooting team during the course of the regular season. In game two, they shot 39%. So it's not like they were just drastically off like in game one and still – they just had no answers for Luca. I mean, he had a shot uh, uh, fading to his left, off his left foot, just threw a three up, and they were joking after the game on TNT. They're like, that's a shot you, you try and horse, not a playoff <laughs> game. He, he did it in a playoff game on the road and just is oozing with confidence. He, he's a, a lot of fun to watch, but a nightmare for the Clippers so far. And we talked about this after game one, and I'd be interested to see if your eye test showed it to be true, is that the Mavs, when they do double Luka, are the type of defense that they don't have a you know super fast foot speed that that in general that the three guys having to guard the four other players when you double 
does not have a rim protector that's exceptional for the Clippers, which you need in that spot. You know, think about Gobert back at the rim. If it's yeah. four on three, he's going to be pretty effective back there. At minimum, going to make him take a longer shot. It feels like the Clippers, though they have those one-on-one wing defenders and Paul George and Kawhi are, are supposedly at the elite level at that. I'm not sure if that's not outdated thinking as they've aged, but it doesn't feel like that style since none of them are good enough to shut down Luka. They have to double him, and I don't think the Clippers look too good when they double. Yeah, and I also I think Willie Cauley Stein is supposed to be that guy who plays close to the rim for Dallas, and you know he's not. I mean, he's hardly playing. I mean, he's played 19 minutes I think total in the entire series thus far. So it's not like they're you know just loading up at the rim and challenging the Clippers to you know to, to hit jump shots. It's just it's almost like they've gotten caught into this. Let's play Dallas's slow, methodical game because that's how Luca's is lulling us to sleep, and it just—it's not benefiting him right now. There, there's no answers, even though Ty Lue says he's not worried at all, uh, and they're going to be fine, which is so, bizarre. Joe, just to clarify, when you were talking about Carly Stein, you were making what point exactly? So Cauley Stein is the equivalent to their defensive five. He's their guy, their rim protector, so to speak. No, no this um, is for the Mavs. For, da- for Dallas. Okay, and, yes. And, and oh, so, so, oh, oh, what you're saying is that Cauley Stein is what the Clippers lack. Yeah, yeah, and it, well, he's like the, the Rudy Gobert c- uh, comparison. Like, yeah. Rudy Gobert has success. Like, Cauley, Cauley Stein is the is the Dallas equivalent to that five, that, that rim protector, and mm-hmm. it feels like the Clippers, if they wanted to, could get to the basket at any point. Paul George had a wide-open dunk late in the game. Ah. There were defensive breakdowns late in the game, but it just, at that point, because they can't get a stop and they can't stop either Hardaway or Porzingis who played well at times or Luka Doncic it, it or Doncic it's like they they are they're looking around for answers and they're trying to play Dallas's game and they just can't compete it's yeah frustrating and, and listen I did the tease by saying you know this is uh, something the country needs to, I do think the following if you look at the Clippers from the day they signed the big two what have they done? They've done a lot of things that you could make the case went against best practices, went against historically what you know the greatest generation would think. You know, they stormed the, board, uh, the beaches of Normandy, and they didn't trade a bunch of first rounders. You know, and, you know, if you want to think of it old school, they started by trading off seemingly everyone. It's like if we have these two, nothing else really matters. And, you know, at least one of those players they traded off looks mighty good at at OKC right now. On the other hand, what have they done? They said, well, the regular season last year, it doesn't really matter that much. We're kind of working ourselves into shape. When the old school way was you practice like you play, you play in the regular season like you play in the playoffs. Like it's always go up a level of effort. The Clippers always seem to go down a level. And the mainstream media, the entire last year, was there just, you just wait, you just wait. Well, they're not really integrated. The cohesion, doesn't matter. Look at the talent. And then they just got shocked. They were shocked. Now, usually, if it's a movie, when you're shocked because you didn't try hard enough, you know what you do the next year? You try harder. Yeah. But apparently this year... That didn't take because, once again, the regular season was hit or miss. And then, too, the, the kind of icing on the cake was, you know, we're going to lose to OKC and Houston the final two games because our mathematical guys say, you know, 
if we get to the four, it's going to be so much easier. Well, you know what? The Mavs knew they were waiting for them. They, you know, Clippers beat them last year, and then they're tanking to get against them again. These are human beings, and it might not be Dallas is playing that much harder. But what we know for sure is the Clippers don't know what it is to play hard. And lo and behold, lo and behold, when it comes time where they have to in a game two must win, they don't. Is that really a big shocker? Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Marion. And I have a new sports podcast called The Lights Out Podcast with Sean Marion. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, The Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who've ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Marion on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Straight out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. We'll take our final break. And coming up, we're going to preview the three games tonight. But two special things. One, we got the Jazz 0-1. They're down, but a double-digit favor. And in another game, my first best bet. Not a pizza bet. Full best bet, first one in the playoffs. And he's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And, R.J., we've been talking NBA playoffs all show long, and we've got three games coming up later on tonight, tipping off in a little over 10 minutes from now. Yeah, so we look at that first Sixers game, and I don't have much on this one. I mean, what's interesting is the line has gone up, and what the zigzag tells us is that a line typically goes down. And uh, what we've seen in this one is the Sixers opened up a seven and a half point favorites. It's up to eight. And uh, Mackenzie, what did we have as the close on the Sixers Wizards first time around? It was eight and there are eight and a half popping up out there. Okay, so what we're seeing now is it's between eight, eight and a half. Now it was eight game one. So it's almost tipping up, going up a little bit. And if you think about it, the Sixers won the game. They didn't cut, you know, so when a team wins and the line still goes up, it's a sign that they don't think they played particularly well in the first game. And obviously Embiid had foul trouble. So I'm not so sure. I don't have a strong opinion on that one. The one I'm going to have my best bet on is the Knicks Hawks. So what I want to do is one is have McKenzie get, I'm actually interested in the updated Trey young over under for points. So as McKenzie's getting up the updated one, mine's from earlier today, let's do Utah and the Grizzlies. And then we'll get to my best bet Jonas. Yeah. And it is the jazz finding themselves down one game to none, a 10 point favorite hosting the Memphis Grizzlies that on pregame.com. Entering this series, the sense was that Utah matched up well with the Grizzlies, that this wasn't a tough matchup for the number one seed. What we know for sure is Utah had a historically bad shooting performance in game one. In fact, if you look at their percentage, it was the second lowest percentage, the second worst we've seen 
all year for Utah. So as much as I don't want to lay doubles here, and I'm not going to, I don't think it's all that juicy on the dog, the Grizzlies, uh, because, again, I don't think it's a good matchup, and I don't expect Utah to shoot as poorly. So what did we have in the Trey Young over-under, McKenzie? It is now 25.5 over-under. 25 and a half. I'm going to go under 25 and a half as a best bet. And the rationale here is simple. The, the refs, I think, are going to be sent in to take care and not let the Knicks go down 0-2. And, and Trey Young requires a lot of foul calls to his benefit. I don't expect him to get him. I think he underperforms. Under Trey Young in points is a best bet for me. We are straight out of Vegas back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! 